Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode number 239 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Big, big show with a lot of news and notes to cover this week. Not as much on the fight front in regards to uh, a lot of fights taking place last week, taking place this week. Although we did have the fight of the year last weekend. I feel bad for you if you missed it live. But we got a lot of news and notes to cover. The next big, big fight, of course, is between Lomachenko and Lopez. Vasily Lomachenko, Tiafimo Lopez. If you haven't checked out my prediction video, it's on my channel, Montero Unboxing. It is uh, pinned at the very start of the channel. Right when you go to it, you'll see it. It's called uh, Lomachenko vs. Lopez Facts, Insight, Breakdown, Prediction. Make sure you guys check that out. All right? And, uh, Pass that one around. And as always, before I get started with news and notes, I just want to let you guys know uh, this is, again, TNC 239 for the week of October 10. And, I, you know, I haven't asked you guys to pay your fee recently. Now, for those of you new to the show, I don't charge a monetary fee for the show. But every now and then I ask you guys to kind of do some homework for me, all right? So I know a lot of you out there can't catch the show live and you would rather uh, listen to the show on one of my platforms out there, you know, the audio platforms or my YouTube channel, whatever. But even if you can't catch the show live on the Ring Digital YouTube channel, I ask that later on, even if you listen to the podcast version, the audio later, go to the Ring Digital YouTube channel, find TNC and just give us a quick click, a quick thumbs up, those thumbs ups. Thumbs up or thumbs ups. I don't know what the plural version of that is, but they help. Okay, so make sure that you're clicking on the Ring Digital. Make sure you're subscribed to the Ring Digital, that you're clicking the notification bells. But even if you can't catch the show live, check it out later. Just click it. Click the thumbs up. That helps so much. All right. Even if you prefer to listen to the audio version later on in the week, give us that thumbs up. And um so this isn't uh, the Bandy Pacquiao issue I showed you guys before, right? And I'm telling you, it's a collector's item. Make sure you pick it up. We have a few left. The newest issue is coming out soon, and that has heavyweights on the cover. I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Those of you who follow uh, the ring on Twitter and everything, you've already seen the photos of the issue. It's another beautiful cover. So uh, we'll talk more about that. Once I receive it, we'll preview that. But the Manny Pacquiao Special Edition issue is freaking awesome. If you haven't picked that up, make sure that you do. Let me get my live chat set up over here on YouTube. Make sure I'm getting all you guys' messages. All right, we got a few of you on the chat already. We had some thumbs up, some thumbs down. It's all good, baby. Let's get right into these news and notes because we have a lot. By the way, Open phones today. We don't have a guest on today because we have so much news and notes to cover. I wanted to have enough time to go over all this stuff. So open phones. Phone lines are open. Call in anytime. All right. You guys know I usually like to do my news and notes, my review preview, have the guest on. Then we take calls. But uh, for today, no guests. So call in whenever you feel if you want to discuss this stuff. So, all right. I got some stuff. Well, let's see. Let's start with the Charlo doubleheader pay-per-view numbers. This is a big one for the pay-per-view numbers bros out there that love to argue about this shit, okay? And there's different people with their different sources tweeting out different numbers. So there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to pay-per-view. Uh, let me just put it to you this way. In the end, the Charlo doubleheader Showtime pay-per-view did a little over 100,000 buys. Some people are going to tell you it was double that. Some people are going to tell you it was half that, depending on whatever agenda they may have. The truth is, it's going to be about 100 to 120,000 buys, maybe a little more than that, but just north of 100,000, okay? So, if you do the math, the way pay-per-view is structured, uh, less than half of it actually goes to the promotion. It used to be cut right in half, but that's when you're dealing with a cable provider only. Now there's all these streaming services and all these other uh, platforms that people can catch the pay-per-view show on. It's not just on their cable. They can get it on their apps, or I'm sorry, their, their uh, devices, you know, all that stuff. So it's actually less than half of the revenue that goes to the promotion. So when you cut up the math on this, guys, I would say around $4 million in revenue is what this pay-per-view did, okay? Now, when you keep in mind that there's no live gate and all that, um, 
not that much compared to what some of the numbers you guys may have heard, but there is foreign TV money. There, there is other money on the back end that's built into this. So just off of pay-per-view buys in the United States alone, though, I'd say around $4 million. But then there are some other streams that will bring in some additional revenue as well. All things considered, you know, some people are calling that show a flop and everything else. I'm really not surprised, man. I'm not surprised at the pay-per-view numbers. I do think that the Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz fight, which, by the way, I should mention since we're doing news and notes, that has been moved to October 31st. It's been moved from Connecticut down to Texas, the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, which has a seating capacity like 60,000, 70,000. I don't yet know how many fans they're going to allow to come in, but there will be fans. In fact, I think tickets went on sale today, I do believe. So uh, you guys can start searching for those tickets now. And as soon as I get some links, I'll send that stuff out to you. I might already have it. I just haven't been able to get through all my emails. But I will tweet that stuff out, okay? So uh, I, I, what I was going to say, though, is the, the Tank Davis pay-per-view, I do think it's going to do much better than the Charlo pay-per-view. If you look at Javante Davis, uh, he is a name that does move the needle to a certain degree. He's done big crowds in multiple markets, not just his hometown. I was ringside for his fight with Yoriokas Gamboa last December here in Atlanta, and it was a sold-out crowd. It was a great crowd, very passionate, very into the fight. They came for Tank because you know they weren't there during the undercard. They were out you know, getting drinks, doing whatever around the arena, but they poured in for that main event. So Tank Davis, just going off of – now, he's never done a pay-per-view, obviously. Neither has Leo Santa Cruz, but Tank has done big crowds. Leo Santa Cruz has been involved in big crowds in California. And he, he had a big fight with Frampton. I think, what, the rematch was in Vegas. The first one was in New York. Although that was mostly Frampton fans in New York. Still, he's been involved in big crowds. So both of these guys combined. I actually think that pay-per-view is going to do north of 200000 But uh, you know, for people out there that are saying, oh, the Tank Davis pay-per-view is going to do 400000 500000 pay-per-view buys, I just don't see that, man. I just... Guys, the, the pay-per-view model in America, in boxing, is over. The way that it was in the 90s, the, the early 2000s, and even up through the Floyd Mayweather era, it's just not, it's not going to work anymore. What boxing has to figure out is how to take web traffic and social media traffic, app traffic, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, and turn that into dollars. The one fighter who was able to do it was Floyd Mayweather because he started in the pre-social media era. He started in the old pay-per-view model era where it was still really the only show in town, if you think about it. And then he transformed, you know, he, or I shouldn't say that, he developed and grew and prospered during the social media era. So what Floyd was able to do was take all of his social media followers, his minions, his cult-like followers and supporters on social, millions of them. And get them to buy into the pay-per-views. Floyd lovers bought the pay-per-views. Floyd haters bought his pay-per-views. But he was the last guy, and really the most successful in this entire era, obviously, to pull that bait and switch. To get followers of his on social media to pony up 70, 80 bucks to watch him fight Robert Guerrero, Andre Berto, uh, you know, uh, uh, those types of fighters, right? Victor Ortiz, he was that guy. That's not going to work anymore because the difference between Floyd's era, and Floyd was a huge name, still is, obviously, but the difference between that era and now is it's all streaming. Everything is streamed. So what boxing has to figure out is how to get guys with big social media followings, which Gervonta Davis has a big social following. Deontay Wilder obviously does. Ryan Garcia does. There's several boxers I can name that have these big social media profiles and even some uh, large profiles in certain elements of the media. Deontay Wilder was on some reality TV shows, so he has an audience there, right? Uh, in the hip hop community, you know, there's some crossover there. So, like, how can you take that traffic and that attention and turn that into dollars? You're not going to do it through the old pay per view model, that ain't going to work. They've got to figure out a new way to make money from that web traffic. Um, and then the one other thing 
relating to this subject. A lot of people say, well, what about the UFC pay-per-views? The UFC pay-per-views are doing these big numbers. Not huge, not doing millions, but they're doing more than boxing's recent pay-per-views. Why are they able to do that? Well, that's because here in the United States, and I know you guys over in the UK and stuff, you have a different structure over there. I'm not talking about the way your pay-per-view model is structured. I'm talking about here in the USA. With UFC, the financials of it are very different. Their split is very different with, with the, the networks and everything else. I've talked about this a million times too. Your UFC is the promoter, the sanctioning organization, the, the regulatory officials, uh, all of that wrapped into one. They really, really are. In boxing, you have a million different platforms and, and different sanctioning organizations. It's, re- it's almost ridiculous to compare the two. But with pay-per-view, I think the biggest thing that UFC does well, regard- on top of the way they market their product to the casual sports fan, is they, they structure it so that businesses can buy in. I'm not going to go down, give all the details of, of how it works in boxing, but for Joe's Sports Bar in Omaha, Nebraska, if they want to show a pay-per-view, they have to pay so much more money, particularly if they have multiple TVs. If it's a sports bar that has 20 TVs or something, they have to pay so much more money to put on a boxing pay-per-view Versus a UFC pay-per-view. It's not even funny. Guys, I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars for some of these small businesses. These sports bars and stuff. These restaurants. You know, like a Buffalo Wild Wings or something. Tens of thousands of dollars difference buying a boxing pay-per-view versus a UFC pay-per-view. I think that's huge. And that's where UFC is absolutely crushing the shit out of boxing. Because these businesses can get the UFC pay-per-view it's infinitely cheaper. They don't have to charge a cover to their clients to come in. So so guys, casual fans that don't really watch UFC every week or whatever, they know some of the big names, right? If Khabib is fighting or Connor's fighting, whoever. And they, hey, man, let's hit the sports bar after work. You know what I'm saying? After after we get done with our job, let's let's walk a few blocks downtown to the sports bar, check out this UFC fight, get a few beers and some wings. If a sports bar wants to get the boxing pay-per-view, if they want to pick up the Tank Davis, Leo Santa Cruz pay-per-view, they're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars more in a lot of cases. And they're going to have to charge people to cover, 20 bucks or whatever. So that same casual sports fan, that dude wearing a collared shirt, you know, working a bank job, some dude named Tucker or something, he don't know who the hell Javante Davis is or Leo Santa Cruz or Jamel or Jamal Charlo or Sergey Derevyanchenko or Jason Rosario. He doesn't know who these people are. And you're going to charge him 20 bucks and say, man, screw that. I'll go home or I'll go uh, you know, to the other sports bar where they're just showing the college football game or something. That's where boxing loses the casual fan in America big time. That's one of the things with pay-per-view that a lot of people don't talk about. And I apologize to any of you named Tucker. It's a fine name. Just in my mind, I'm thinking of a white-collar banker working downtown wearing a pink-collared shirt and some salmon pants or something named Tucker. Yes, that's a stereotype. Sue me. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. What else? What other news? Who else can I offend today? Okay. Canelo Alvarez reissues his uh, lawsuit, his breach of contract lawsuit against Golden Boy Promotions and the Zone. Does this surprise any of you? It sure as hell doesn't surprise me. We saw this coming, right? We know, I, look, it looks more and more and more like uh, Canelo wants out of that contract with Golden Boy. And I know a lot of people are saying that that's going to bury Golden Boy Promotions. What would bury Golden Boy is if they have to pay money to Canelo. But if they can break off the contract or Canelo can buy his way out or somebody could uh, sign Canelo and and shove some money Golden Boy's way or something, I actually think Golden Boy will be all right. They got a couple young fighters, Virgil Ortiz, Ryan Garcia's hanging on by a thread, but they still got him, and and a few others where at least regionally in California, uh, Texas, Arizona, that part of the country, they're going to do okay. Will they be a global boxing powerhouse without Canelo Alvarez? No, they won't. Because uh, Canelo is obviously the, their big star, their big moneymaker. He's the top earner in all of boxing right now. So without him, that hurts their business a lot. And they kind of become, they kind of go from an A-level promoter to, I guess you call him like a regional 
promoter, you know, not a club promoter to be above that, but it'd be more of like a regional player, uh, West coast, you know, regional player in boxing, unless they can keep Ryan Garcia, keep him happy. And he becomes the next guy or Virgil Ortiz. They have potential, but is this going to crush their business forever? No, it's the same thing with the zone. If, if Canelo and the zone split and that remains to be seen, Canelo's beef is mainly with golden boy promotions, honestly. But if, if, if Canelo and DeZone part ways, DeZone's going to be all right, too. They've got other fighters, other stars, and they're catering to the diehard fight fan. It does change their business a lot, though, and they'll have to make big adjustments real quick. But none of this surprises me. Uh, it looks like Canelo is going to be out of the ring completely for 2020, which is a damn shame. But this year, this whole year has been a damn shame for the most part. Let's be honest. All right. Uh, boxers behaving badly. Sergey Kovalev, the crusher. Unfortunately, a uh, crusher that I guess includes women and dogs, if you would believe this woman's report. So he received three years probation for allegedly assaulting a woman and even kicking her dog. I guess this was at a, a party, a get-together. Uh, there was a, a gym opening up, I believe Oxnard, California. Don't quote me uh, on that one. It's somewhere in, in the greater Los Angeles area. There was a gym opening I don't know if it was during one of Sergey's camps, right before, right after, whatever. But he allegedly punched this woman when she refused him sexually, and he kicked her dog. Now, is there any proof of this? No. There's not a shred of evidence, as far as I understand, because uh, the woman claims some facial injuries. But, that, again, correct me if I'm wrong on this. But I've never seen any photos or videos or anything like that that surfaced. So it's her word versus his word. But he does have a history of this. And I think it's, look, three years probation, that's a slap on the wrist, right? Uh, and then I think he had to pay like 200 and something dollars in court fees. That's almost like, that's more than a slap on the wrist. That's like an insult. And then on top of all of it, I think he has to take anger management classes. Now, that's laughable at, at first, right? You, you think about that. But I honestly think that shit could help him. Because it seems like he's got some issues with that. I don't want to spend too long talking about this. There are a lot of people out there shitting all over Sergey Kovalev right now. And I get it. If he really, first of all, if he really did this, the way the woman's saying, unprovoked like this, then he is a piece of shit. You, you can't defend this kind of stuff. You just can't defend it. However, guys, in the last few years alone, we've had Javante Davis involved in incidents like this. Floyd Mayweather literally, literally served jail time. Uh, Marcus Brown, numerous domestic violence incidents. There's a ton of dudes over at UFC that have been accused of this. I want to say Conor McGregor is one of them, but I can't remember for sure. Here in, in boxing, um, Jarrell Big Baby Miller tested positive for steroids, a cocktail of steroids multiple times, yet he kept getting opportunities. So when people, you know, I've heard some of you guys say Sergey should be banned from the sport. No one should work with him again. Guess what, guys? If Jarrell Big Baby Miller could get signed again, if guys like Shakur Stevenson, who's been involved in, in violent incidents recently, Gervonta Davis, uh, Adrian Broner, Floyd Mayweather, he, he even served jail time over it. They continue to get work. It's Sergey Kovalev ain't going nowhere. He's, now, his career is almost over anyway. I don't know how much he's going to fight again after that loss he took against Canelo. And he's had some brutal stoppage losses recently. But don't, don't think for a second he's going away and no promoter is going to touch him. He'll be back on American TV within the next 12 months, mark my words. All right. Okay, what else? Uh, we hit Charlo, Canelo. We hit the pay-per-view numbers. All right. Let's talk about Deontay Wilder. So it's official now. Deontay Wilder has fired trainer Mark Breland. And there wasn't a technical reason given. But there were plenty of interviews with Deontay Wilder after the loss he took to Tyson Fury in their rematch. Where he talked about you know things like uh, quote-unquote snakes being in camp. And um, people doing them wrong from, from the inside. And there are these triangle theories that Mark Breland was somehow working with the Durrells who were working with... Fury's corner through um, Fury's trainer, all this kind of stuff, craziness, insanity. And now it's official. Wilder splits up with Mark Breland. A lot of you guys want to know how I feel about this. Okay, let me state this first. Deontay Wilder is hardly the first trainer 
to split with his trainer after his first career loss, or at least a really high-profile loss. Gennady Golovkin did this just a couple years ago with Abel Sanchez. We've seen this. It's a tradition in boxing that goes all the way back to the beginning. Very, very rarely when a boxer, a high-profile boxer, takes a dominant loss like this, or even a close loss, but it's their first career loss in a high-profile bout, someone's got to take the blame. And the first person on the chopping block is usually the trainer. It is a thankless job. That's why I will never get mad at any trainer for demanding they get paid and get their money because just like that, a trainer can be out. It is a thankless job. And for all of the star fighters a trainer might work with, 99% of their clientele are dudes fighting on undercards and club shows that you all have never heard of. Their time is dedicated to a lot of those guys. There are so few trainers that get up to the level of like a Freddie Roach or somebody like that. So for Mark Breland, who's number one, a former fighter, a former world title holder, had a great amateur career, very successful professional career. This dude's been around the sport his whole life. He's been to the gyms. He's seen the horror stories. You know, uh, he's seen guys in their 40s that could barely form a sentence. He's seen guys getting beat down and sparring, basically being used as a humid punching bag for a young prospect moving up the ranks, you know, getting their ass or their face smashed in for a few hundred bucks. And then they have to go home and take a shower, get dressed, and go work their security job third shift on top of all that. He's seen all that nasty shit. So for him to throw in the towel when Wilder was getting bludgeoned. By, Deon, or by Tyson Fury in that rematch, I think showed that he truly cared about Deontay Wilder. I don't know Mark Breland. I've never met him personally. I don't know Jay uh, Diaz, uh, Wilder's trainer right now. I guess Malik Scott, who just posted a picture of himself naked eating crab legs. Check my Twitter account. It's out there. <laughs> that dude's a trip. He's a character, but anyway, he's going to be training with Wilder too, and I think his role is going to step up a little bit more. He was kind of a gatekeeper-level heavyweight forever, just basically a chief sparring partner for everyone in the last generation of heavyweights. Um, he's going to be there in that corner as well. I don't know any of these people personally, okay? I, I, I don't. So I'm, I don't want to make any moral judgments on anyone's character or anything like that. But if it were me, if I was Deontay Wilder and – I was saying, hey, man, don't stop this damn fight. I want to go out on my shield. And everyone in the corner was saying, yeah, all right, champ, we ain't stopping shit. You, you keep going out there, champ, and slowly killing yourself. All right, champ. But there was one guy in the corner that said, you know what? I actually fought at a very high level. I've seen lives end prematurely in this sport. I've seen what it can do to people. I know you got kids that want you around. They don't give a shit about your money and what you can buy them. They want you physically around for them to see them graduate high school, go to their prom, drive their car for the first time, get married, have kids. That's what they want from you. I'm going to stop this fight so that you have a chance to be there for them for that for those moments. That's the guy I'm keeping in my corner. The other guys are like, all right, champ, all right, champ, just make sure that check is made out to me so I can cash this again. I'm not, I'm a little more leery of those guys in my corner. Now, again, I say all this saying, I don't know anything. I don't know these people personally. I'm not trying to make any moral judgment. I'm just telling you if I, the, the limited experience I've had around this sport, covering it, I've seen some horrible horror stories. You guys know I've seen fighters die right in front of me. Okay. So the dude that pulled the plug on that fight and said, champ, Let's get better. Let's come back. Let's live to fight another day. We got the third fight. It's contract. It's in the contract, dude. You got it. Tens of millions of dollars. We're going to be back. You could avenge this. That's the guy I want to keep in my corner and on my team. So that's how I feel about this situation with Deontay Wilder and Mark Breland. Um, let me say this, too. I've taken a lot of heat for being critical of Deontay Wilder at times over the years, over the last few years, as Deontay Wilder turned from this sweet country boy fighting for his, his kids and all this to this mythical godlike personality for certain people on YouTube. 
he really did become like a living deity to some people. He really, really did. And that's why they freaked out when he lost earlier this year. They lost their shit because their living Jesus or living Allah, whatever you believe in, lost. And they couldn't understand it, right? To this this kind of goofy looking dude with a little bit of a beer gut, you know, who doesn't look that athletic on the surface, but moves really nimbly. And they just couldn't understand it. But as that character turn happened, right, I've been critical of some of the things Deontay Wilder has said. Uh, it's not like he just made one or two mistakes. There have been several times that he said things that were, uh, I think if another fighter had said it, they'd be in a lot of trouble. And he's gotten pass after pass after pass. And it endeared him to a small subset of boxing fans. But the everyone else was just kind of like, eh, it rubbed people the wrong way. I've been critical of some of that. I've been critical of some of Deontay Wilder's fans, some of his fans, for some of the things that they would say, who kind of played into this character-y thing too. And it was almost cult-like. And some of the things, some of the rhetoric they would use was beyond disturbing. It was actually dangerous and scary at times. So I voiced my opinion about this stuff because I've been an independent operator for a long time. And yeah, did I maybe go about it? Not always in the best way, sure. Yes, and there's mistakes I've made and things that I would do differently and say differently, of course. And I apologize if I offended anybody in those moments. But now I see that it's becoming, certain things are coming to light this year. You can tell a lot about a person by the way that they lose. You can tell more about somebody in the way they handle a loss than the way they handle a win, right? And we're seeing some things revealed now this year, and people are finding it easier and safer to criticize Deontay Wilder. And look, I don't know, man. It's the same thing that happened with Ronda Rousey a few years back, when I was very, very critical of some of the things Ronda Rousey was saying and the media slobbing all over her. ESPN named Ronda Rousey their fighter of the year. This, while Floyd Mayweather was still pretty close to his physical peak in fighting at an extraordinarily high level and may have been the best fighter from 147 to 154. And Ronda Rousey won fighter of the year. That was absolutely political. It was a stunt. I talked about that openly and freely and honestly, and I got shit on, and I got called all sorts of names, I got called a sexist, a misogynist, blah, 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 blah. Then when she took a beat down to Holly Holm, took a beat down to Emmanuel Nunes, uh, and, and didn't handle the loss very well, and certain things started to come out, then everyone starts being critical. And, you know, I, I just see some of the same things happening here. It's not an exact parallel there are some parallels. There are some major differences, obviously. But look, if this is the move Deontay Wilder wants to make for his career, everyone should respect it. This is the choice he's going to make, and he's going to move forward. And we'll see. Maybe he'll prove to be a genius. We already know that um, him turning down that guaranteed money from the zone may not have been the best move, but... We'll see what happens with this decision with Mark Breland. For, for my money, I think Mark Breland did the right thing, and it's a shame that he's being tossed aside like this. I don't think that the third fight between Wilder and Fury is going to happen in 2020. It's probably going to happen in early 2021, but I don't see what Wilder can do differently in his corner from now till then. You've got, I don't know, maybe at most six months before that third fight happens. Um I don't see what they can get done that's going to make him fight any different. I mean, the best thing for Wilder is to learn how to work behind a jab, stay patient, and set up the right. And I thought Mark Breland was perfect for that because that's how he fought to a certain extent. He was a tall, long guy for his division. So that's how I feel about it. I'm looking here in the chat. I think a lot of you guys agree with me um, for the most part. But he's – uh yeah, we'll find out with Deontay, but I just I do find it interesting that, you know, there's very, very few of us that are willing to put things on record and say things that are uncomfortable for some people to hear, or difficult for some people to hear when it's not safe. Then it becomes safe to criticize. Then everyone piles on, right? The Max Kellermans of the world. These, and I got nothing against Max. I'm just saying 
When Ronda Rousey, when that bubble burst, he started dumping all over her, calling her a hype job. Everybody did. And then with now with Deontay, everyone's like, man, Deontay, how are you going to do Mark Breedlin like that? He took care of you, dude. You're going to treat him like this? That's messed up. A lot of people are really upset at Wilder. And I'm like, well, where were you two or three years ago? When I was telling you, it's kind of some of the stuff you're going to see. That's just how it works, man. All right. <clears throat> all that being said, I like Deontay Wilder a lot as a fighter, man. He's exciting to watch. He still could end the show with that if he lands that right hand. It just remains to be seen now how he's going to respond to taking such a dominant loss to Fury. For my money, I'm still telling you guys, that third fight will be more competitive than the rematch was. I'm not saying Wilder wins. I think Fury's going to win. But it will be more competitive than the rematch was. I truly believe that. Wilder has a lot of pride, and he fights with a lot of heart and determination, man. And those are X factors that matter a lot in boxing. Okay, review time. Last Wednesday, September 30th, ESPN Plus uh, picked up that fight from England. O'Hara Davies scored a majority decision win over Tyrone McKenna. This was the golden contract finale, 140 pounds. So O'Hara Davies moves forward. Good for him. Good, solid victory for him. Saturday, October 3rd, we had a few different cards. But uh, let's start uh, PBC on FS1 from Los Angeles. Mark Magsayo improves the 21-0. The 25-year-old Filipino featherweight prospect scored a split decision win over Mexican-American Rigoberto Hermosillo. Um, this was a tough fight. One judge had it way, way wide for the Filipino, but that was a terrible scorecard. Uh, the two other judges had it the right way. I thought that Magsayo did enough to win. He was the, the, the right guy to get the victory. I don't even think it should have been a split decision. But it was a tough fight for him, man. Also, the Barrientos twins, Angel and Chavez, won their American debut, their PBC debut, their American TV debut in six-round distance fights. Former guest of the show. Actually, uh, and that wasn't the only former guest of the show that fought Saturday. Gabriel Flores. I'm going to go jump over to ESPN+. Plus. They had a card from the bubble in Las Vegas. Gabriel Flores Jr., 130-pound prospect. Scores a 10-round unanimous decision win. So we actually had two different uh, guests of the show win. Or actually, I should say three different because there's two Variantes twins. So three different former guests of the show win decisions uh, last weekend. Also on that ESPN Plus card, that top-ranked card, a heavyweight out of Italy, heavyweight prospect Guido Vianello had a tough fight, man. I think he came into this fight 7-0, but drew with Kingsley eBay. I like to call him Kingsley Bubble eBay because this is his third post-quarantine fight. Everyone at top rank was talking about uh, Clay Collard fighting so often. What about this guy? Kingsley eBay, third fight post-COVID. Let's give him some props too, man. But uh, he came in there. He's been tough for everyone he's fought. He's been real tough. And Guido Vianello was the favorite in this fight. And he walked away with a draw. So this was a tough uh, learning lesson type of fight. I'd love to see him run it back. Why the hell not run it back? Uh, in in a month or so on ESPN, ESPN Plus. Also, um, okay, well, let's get to the main event, man. Jose Chon Zapata scores a fifth-round knockout win over Ivan the Beast Baranchek. This was a 140-pound WBC eliminator, so now Zapata is in line to have a rematch with Jose Carlos Ramirez. Remains to be seen if Ramirez will fight Taylor first, or if he'll fight Zapata first, and we'll go from there. We'll find out. Grandpa Bob will let us know. Crazy knockdowns in this fight. Back and forth. Clearly the 2020 fight of the year. Real quick, after this fight, 140-pound ratings. I think Josh Taylor's number one. Ramirez is number two. Progray's number three. But you got to put Zapata right there at number four. He proved himself, I believe, in this fight as the fourth best junior welterweight in the world. And that's a pretty pretty good division. There's a lot of talent in that division. So Zapata proved that he really belonged with his performance in this fight. And remember, when he fought Ramirez, it was what, a year or two ago? A lot of people feel that he won that fight. It was very close. I personally feel that Ramirez edged it, but it was damn close. A seven rounds to five type of fight. I'd love to see a rematch between those two because I think Zapata has improved since then. I think that fight 
made him a better fighter. And I'd love to see a rematch between him and Ramirez. Okay, knockdowns. Okay, <laughs> this is going to take a minute to get through all these knockdowns, guys. In the first round, Zapata was down twice. Now, I should say, both of those knockdowns to me look like clubbing kind of shots from Baranchek. They were awkward. Zapata was off balance. He went down, but he wasn't hurt. He wasn't hurt. It's important to remember that, okay? In the second round, Zapata was down again, but he also dropped Baranchek twice. Referee Kenny Bayless missed it. And before the broadcast, they talked about the Nevada State Athletic Commission updating their rules and their protocols. And um, who was it? Uh, Robert Byrd, of all people, was running that show that night. And if there was any uh, screw-ups by the ref, Kenny Bayless, Robert Byrd could catch it between rounds and correct it. Did it matter? Nope. Because he had 60 seconds between the second and third round to catch Kenny Bayless's screw-up. And he didn't catch it. So once again, the Nevada State Athletic Commission continues to baffle us with their idiocy. They really need some young blood. Not only did Kenny Bayless miss one of the knockdowns that Jose Cepeda should have been credited with in the second round, but during the 60-second review in between rounds, Robert Byrd with a telepro- or a, a TV, a screen right in front of him, missed it too. That's, that's just, guys... You've done so much for the sport. We appreciate your service. Time for that golden watch. Time to walk into the sunset. Bring on some talent. Bring on some guys that were born after World War II. (laughs) Okay, please. It's time. I'm not trying to be ageist. Don't go there. All right. Third round, Baran checked down. Fourth round, Baran checked down. And the difference, when Baran was getting dropped, he was getting hit clean. Okay, I talked about the first two knockdowns for Zapata. He was kind of, he was almost hit with like Baranchek's forearms and elbows. It was really awkward. He went down, he was off balance, popped right back up, he looked good. But I noticed the commentary crew, who I think did a good job, I actually liked the combination of just uh, Bernardo Asuna and Timothy Bradley. I think they work really well together. Without Joe Tessitore or Andre Ward there, I like the chemistry of just those two guys. That's all we need. That's all we need. But anyway, um, those first two times Zapata was down, he looked clear to me. But when he was dropping Baranchek, he was hitting him clean, dude. He was landing, just catching him at the end of shots and hitting him clean on the chin. Sometimes it was up on the temple, whatever, high up on the forehead. Either way, he was hitting the target, and Baranchek was getting put down hard. Another thing I noticed, Baranchek was breathing heavy after maybe the second round. He'd get in his corner, he needed, he needed breath, right? He needed some ice on his nuts. He needed to, like, really, really catch his breath. And Chanda sitting down just like, he looked like he was just going for a walk. Just walking his dog. Just, he just had that look on his face. He looked like he was fresher, and he was also thinking and making adjustments. Early on, Baranchek was throwing that looping left hand, right, which was actually really nice. I, I like that. And I'm like, man, I got long arms. I need to practice that on the bag. I like the way he was throwing it. And it was catching Zapata, who was trying to back away. He didn't expect Baranchek to have so much length on that hook. That first, uh, there was one of the knockdowns in the first round, I think, where he kind of got clipped with it moving backwards. And you saw this look on Zapata's face like, damn, I thought I slipped that shit. You know, it, it, it looked like Baranchek's arms were 10 feet long. It was working early on, but then Zapata made it made an adjustment. He, he closed up the distance. He got at mid-range, got inside of that. It was starting to go underneath it. At one point, he threw three straight left hooks, and he was just throwing a left hook, getting underneath the counter, left hook, underneath the counter, left hook. He was getting, he was thinking, he was making adjustments. When I saw what Baranchek was full speed ahead, one mode, one train of thought, just crush, kill, destroy, knock this guy out. I saw Zapata boxing. And too many of you, I've actually seen people on Twitter shitting on this fight, which is amazing, but sadly doesn't surprise me. But some of you guys out there were saying that there was no skill or there was limited skill in this fight. Really? Watch what, what Jose Zapata did in this fight. He showed lots of skill. He made adjustments. If he fought, the way he fought in the first round, if he fought that the second, third, fourth, fifth round, he would have been knocked unconscious by the fifth or sixth round. Not Baranchek. He made the adjustments. 
and he started to catch Baranchek in between those wide looping power punches he was throwing because everything was the same speed. And Zapata saw that, adjusted, shortened up his punches. The knockout punch was a really short counter left hook. Actually, he set it up with like a blinding right hand so that Baranchek's eyes and face were down. He never saw that left hand come, and that's why it hurt him. The reason these guys were able to get up from all those knockdowns is because they saw the punches coming. But once Baranchek got hit with that one shot he didn't see coming, what happened? Boom! Night-night. So anyway, fifth round, uh, Zapata down once again. And that was a legit knockdown when Baranchek put him down. But then Zapata put him down for good. And then it got scary. So then you just witnessed this exhilarating beautiful violence, you know, back and forth. Both guys hurt, both guys down, both guys busted up. And then there's one guy, his right leg bent back funny. It wouldn't surprise me unless he's really flexible. If that was my knee, I'd have some ligament damage because I'm not that flexible. Maybe his knee's okay. I hope it is. But the way he folded back on that knee, oh, my God. But you, you go from exhilaration to absolute horror within seconds. And I, I did. I don't, the Nevada medical staff, to me, didn't respond that great. I would have liked to have seen oxygen around. Even if you feel he doesn't need it, at least bring it in the ring. At least have a tank up there. Why was he allowed to leave the ring under his own power? Man, his ass should have been on a stretcher. I don't care how proud he's being. Put him on a stretcher. Put some oxygen on. Carry him out of the ring. Straight to the ambulance. Boom. To the hospital you go. That's what we should have saw. But thankfully, he got up and apparently he got checked out and Baranchek is okay. But to see the whirlwind of emotions that we got in that fight, and then what amazed me even more is minutes after the fight, in the post-fight interview, uh, Jose Zapata said to Bernardo Asuna, you know, I get insecure sometimes and I doubt myself. And I'm thinking... This dude just scored a knockout of the year contender, won a fight of the lock for fight of the year, probably round of the year, pick a round, but fifth round, you'd probably go with the fifth round. But I'm thinking this dude is probably the fourth best junior welterweight in the world, about to be lined up for a second title shot, will be for unified titles. And he admits on national TV, yeah, I get insecure and I doubt myself sometimes. How, how amazing is that? Boxers, yes, boxers are arrogant, boxers are cocky, but they're also the most human humans of all athletes. I routinely see these guys who are freaking warriors. They represent the top 1% of the top 1% of human conditioning and fitness, and not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, all of it. And this man on national TV minutes later says, yeah, dude, I doubt myself, and you know, I get insecure sometimes. How awesome is that? I, I, the humility. So you go from violence to horror to humility in, in minutes. And I'm just thinking to myself, what other sport gives this to you? What other sport can provide this whirlwind of emotion, just humanity played out in 30, 45 minutes like this fight provided? And even the post-fight because of the drama afterwards, the drama and humility afterwards. I'm like, man, there's nothing like this in sports. Maybe I'm biased because I love boxing. But... I just can't think of another sport that gives you so much when it's at its best. Boxing at its best is the best sport in the world. And I tried to think, what other sporting moment in in, in another sport provided this sort of humanity to me as a fan? I I remember a couple years ago when Tom Brady in the New England Patriots came back from like a 30-point halftime deficit or whatever to beat the Atlanta Falcons. That was insane. That was Arguably the greatest comeback in the history of American team sports in one game. You can make the argument. At least in a big game like that, a championship game. It pales in comparison to what we saw Saturday at the MGM Grand on ESPN+. That's crazy. Guys, no other sport provides the drama when it's at its absolute best than boxing. I will say that until the day I die, man. Super chat pledge from Soap Boxing Podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, brother. He says, uh, I never thought Baranchek recouped from the first knockdown either. He was in great shape, was going to get seriously hurt. 
That's a great point. That's a really, really great point. Um, yeah, a few of you guys in the chat. Chris Bergen saying, I thought he broke his leg. T. Wall, 1999, says, I thought Ivan died. That was scary. Yeah, dude, it, it was scary. It, it was one of those things that I will say this. I didn't predict the knockout the way it happened, but I second, third, fourth round, I saw a pattern taking place where I saw one guy throwing the better punches, breathing, was relaxed, was thinking, was making adjustments, and he was landing his punches more flush. The other guy, Baranchek, physically stronger, more athletic. He's 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 the more athletic guy, probably can lift more weight, probably would smoke Zapata in an Olympic decathlon. But like I said, it was all one speed, man. Zapata was doing some science. And I, I kept telling myself, man, at some point, Zapata's going to land something big and put him down. And that's it's going to be it. I didn't think it looked like the way it did. I didn't think it was going to come in the fifth round. I thought it might be an attrition type of thing in the eighth or ninth round. So seeing the way it played out was shocking. But I saw it coming. Go back and watch that fight again, guys. So I mentioned that because... A lot of people are calling this better than Castillo Corrales, and it wasn't, okay? Great fight, fight of the year, absolutely, but I can't put it up there with a fight like Castillo Corrales and some of those other fights because the two-way sustained action in those fights I thought was more competitive and fought at a higher level. I saw in this fight, despite the fact that Zapata kept getting put down, I saw him slowly breaking Baranchek down, and I saw the knockout coming. Let me know if I'm crazy, but that's what I saw. Let's jump over to the phones, man. We got a phone call here, and then I'll get back to uh, to the review. 773, you're on the neutral corner. Go. What's up, Mike? You got to touch on this Deontay Wilder controversy. Oh, well, I talked about it a minute ago. Did you, uh, did, Are you just getting on the line? Are you just uh, starting to listen? Because I talked about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, so basically, I man. I heard you talk about it. Okay, yeah, with, with him firing Mark Breland, I think it's a bad look. I think it's the wrong decision. I think Mark Breland did the right thing. Uh, and it, Remember, Mark Breland is the only guy, well, it's him and Jay Diaz or Jay Diaz, I don't know how to say his name, but uh, Mark Breland fought and at a very high level. So him being a fighter, him knowing what it's like to be knocked out, to knock someone else out, him seeing dudes uh, die in the ring, um, being around that his whole life, being at the gyms and seeing guys get messed up in the gyms, I think it showed that Mark Breland cares for Deontay Wilder when he stopped that fight. And for him to be thrown out like this, the timing of it makes no sense. I, I think it's a bad look, and I don't agree with it, but it's Deontay's career, man. Yeah, I can, can, I can uh, criticize Wilder a lot, but I can't criticize him for this. And the reason I say that is because Wilder, they know what they sign up for. They know what they sign up for, and they wouldn't choose this profession if they were worried about their health, they were worried about this and that. They know every time they step in that ring, it's it's the risk they take. This is the warrior code. It's the warrior way. So, and if he said he wants to go out on the shield and he had this talk with this trainer, then that's on him. It's his body, his choice, as they like to say. So, Wilder, and if you look at that fight, as they were stopping that fight, he was throwing a left hook, and he actually backed Tyson Fury up off him with the left hook he landed right on the butt as the fight was going to stop. I mean, I, I think he was going to get beat down even more, but that's that's his choice. That's what that's the, what he signed up for. So I don't like the um, kind of the well, you know, he wants to be around for his family and this and that. This is what he signed up for. He wants to be go out in the shield. He wants to die in the ring. That's his choice. So that's my thoughts. What do you think? I I understand your position. I just think that a trainer's job is to protect a fighter. A trainer's job is not to let a fighter die. So I, I'm trying to think of a scenario, you know, where this isn't an exact thing. But imagine if someone got in a car accident and the EMT showed up, the first responders and the guy in the car said, nah, dude, I'll walk this shit off. I'm a warrior. I'll walk to the hospital. And you're like, no, we're going to put you in the the ambulance and take you to the emergency room. Your legs are broken. Nah, man, I'll I'll pull myself to the hospital. The EMT is going to take that dude against his will and throw him in the ambulance and drive him to the hospital. 
So for Mark Breland, again, this is a guy who's been around the sport. And I can tell you, dude, I've been around the sport in a limited fashion. I've seen sad stories play out. And sometimes you got to save a dude from himself. I think Mark Greeland did the right thing, dude. Um, if if Mark Greeland's not compatible with Deontay Wilder's corner, if Deontay Wilder literally wants to die and would rather die than live to fight another day, I think that makes him a questionable father. He's got children. He's got a wife. Um, he's got responsibilities. It's only a sport, but... If if Breland's not compatible with your corner and your team and what you want, then let him go right after that fight. Why wait six months? Why why do it now? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I can see one the timing of it, but we don't even know if that's the reason why he fired him. It could be because he wasn't prepared. He got he got beat down, just like in Tyson Fury. He he switched trainers, so we don't know exactly that's the reason why he um fired. Because of the stop, it could be he wants to try something new. He wants to get a new look, new trainer. Obviously, what Breland did wasn't working, so that could be the reason why. If I wouldn't even know if it was that's the reason why he was fired. So I don't know. I just don't like to do the moral thing, the morals where well, he has a family and this and that. That's not our place to judge, really. That's that's on him. That's his family. I agree. His problem, his life. Well, it's like I said, it's it's his it's his career, it's his life. I'm just telling you who I'd want in my corner. I would want I would want Mark Breland in my corner, because dude, the mentality of a fighter is to never quit, right? And, and I understand that that that's what makes fighters different people than than most people. That, but that's also why they need a trainer. They need people around them that care. Like I, I don't know, dude. Like it's like. Some of these older fighters that want to come back and fight, uh, if you want to do some exhibition or something, cool. But, like, if Mike Tyson wants to, wanted to come back and seriously fight Deontay Wilder, shame on any commission that sanctioned that shit. Because you're literally sanctioning manslaughter. That's what you're sanctioning. So th- there is a moral element to this. We can disagree. That's fine. I'm just saying, like, sometimes fighters need to be protected from themselves. But you, you're right. He might just be wanting to change looks, which is cool. If, if he's just trying to change looks and go with a new trainer, then just say that. And, again, if that's what you want to do, well, you could have fired Breland back, what, in February, and you could have been working the last six months with your new trainer. Firing him now and working with a new dude for a couple months, I don't know if that's going to help anything, man. Yeah, I hear you. It's just really... I don't know. He kind of puts out these little signals and have his brother come say something, and then he'll, he really doesn't talk about it. He kind of just does this little, um, I don't know, passive-aggressive kind of messaging. I don't know what yeah. he's doing. It would, you make it a lot of sense, though. If you just come out and tell it, what's going on, why I fired him, what you thinks in the re- – it's really – he's been radio silent, so we really – all we can do is um, yes. But I'll leave you to it. Thanks for taking my call, Mike. All right, man. Thanks for calling in. We got a second call right. here, guys. Let me. Uh... Yeah, look, there's a lot of people that agree with that caller. There's a lot of people that think that, um, you know, hey, this is what he signed up for, yada, yada, yada. Just for me, there is a point where you got to save people from themselves, man. It's like some of you guys watching this, you might have a family member that's a drug addict or depressed or they're putting themselves in, in harm's way uh, around the criminal element or whatever it is. And some of you guys, you might have family members that say, ah, shit, it's their life. Let them do what they want, you know. But some of you might be like, you know what? No, I'm going to interject. I'm going to get in there and try to stop this shit and help that person. So different people will see it different ways. But um, I, I think Mark Breland did the right thing. I really, really do. Anyway, 303, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Hey, brother. Uh called in a couple of times before first i'll i'll get to what you've been talking about just out of sort of respect for you the last caller i think you got it right here but i think ultimately what we know you can just say it comes down to you know breland wouldn't have been able maybe probably wouldn't have been able to live with himself if he didn't throw that towel in and if deontay wilder was seriously hurt and he knew he could have protected 
those kids, you know, from losing their father or from having something serious happen to him. And if Wilder's position is that he doesn't want anybody in his corner who's going to stop a fight and save his kids that trauma, then he's got the right to fire Breland. Agreed. I'm with you. I'd rather have the guy who's looking out for my kids, looking out for my financial future, looking out for the best interest, not just, you know, what's going to look the best in the ring. And when that last, I mean, so they're the only ones that know, but, you know, props to Breland for doing the right thing. You know, I hope he goes to bed easy, even if he's got a little bit less money in his pocketbook. Agreed. After this. Uh, and as for, uh, Baranchik and Zapata. I agree with you. I think Baranchik really only throws that hook hard. He throws it from both sides, but his left, that lead left hook is his money punch. Right. Uh, I think the same thing happened with uh, uh, when he fought Taylor. Taylor eventually just figured out, okay, you know, it comes real wide, but once you know where it's coming from, it's easy to slip. It's easy to get out of the way. He just bowls into you with his head down and throws those wide, you know, hooks with his elbow out there. I think as soon as Zepeda dialed into that, he was slipping the punches. He could stay in the pocket, and it was only a matter of time before he clipped him hard. I completely agree. I mean, you could see it coming. If you go back and watch the fight, the second, third, fourth round, you see him setting it up. And once he learned that, okay, all I got to do, I mean, a lot of times with the hook, if you're trying to catch it or parry it, you're, you got your, your glove up on your temple. The way Branchek was throwing it, you got to slide back almost to the back of your head to catch it. So a couple times he slid back and caught it. A couple times he ducked under it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, once he got inside of those punches, I mean, Baranchek still did well and still drops a Peta because he is so physically strong. Pound for pound, he's one of the stronger guys out there right now in boxing. He's a strong dude. And you can see that in the ring. He was moving Zapata when he'd land. Even if Zapata blocked it, it still pushed him back. But Baranchek was also getting hit in the chin. Over and over and over, and it finally took a toll, man. Yeah, and I mean, props to Zapata for just standing in the pocket because, you know, like he could have kept backing up, you mm-hmm. know, tried to keep him at the end of a jab, um, you know, because Baranchek doesn't really throw that jab. He, he leaps in with that hook, um, and he probably wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have been as good of a fight. It wouldn't have been that you know, knockdown after knockdown after knockdown, but he wanted to stand in the pocket. He wanted to go toe to toe with him and he thought he'd outlast him. He was right. That's a great point because there are a lot of other fighters out there who would have kept backing up, who would have kept running, who would have went all defensive, you know, and he stood there in the fire because he saw something. It took him a few rounds to finally get to it, but he saw something there. His corner saw something and told him, but there are not many guys who – I mean, think about it. He was dropped three times in the first two rounds. A lot of people would not yeah. stand in that fire, but he did. And I think he really proved himself as a, as a top five uh, fighter at 140 pounds. Totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, I would say that Taylor had a stronger performance yes. against uh, Branchick. He didn't, you know, like he probably could have done the same thing, but he was just like, hell, I can beat this guy at the end of my jab. I don't need to knock him down a second time. I'm just going to stand back and abuse him from a distance. But, it, it, you know, it's not as impressive as putting the guy's lights out and folding him, fold him over his own MCL. Right. Yeah, that knockdown was scary, man. He really, truly did fold him over. <laughs> what did you, when, he, right, yeah. when he dropped him, totally. what was your original thought? I mean, I'm like, I thought he tore up his knee. Yeah. I thought he wasn't going to be able to walk out of the ring. And I, I didn't think he was going to get up even as fast as he did. I thought he was going to be down for, you know, five, eight minutes. Um, you know, like I, that was one of those just start praying for the dude. Cause yeah. Who knows what's wrong up there. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Good stuff, bro. You know, if they weren't both going down, you'd want Baranchik's trainer to throw in the towel on that one. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, it's it's so interesting, though. Like, the way Baranchek went down, we've seen other guys go down like that who were permanently damaged. We've seen guys go down like that who died. And yet, he ends up walking out of there. It's just so bizarre the way it affects people differently. And you just, there's no clear cut science to how to prevent those serious injuries, you know? 
But that was one of those knockouts. It reminded me of when um, David Lemieux knocked out, I think it was Curtis Stevens. I think Lemieux was yeah. back on the ropes and hit him with a counter left or something. Or when Canelo knocked out James Kirkland, it was just one of those collapsing kind of knockouts or when he knocked out Amir Khan and you see some of these guys just walk away and you're like, Holy shit. You just, but you just never know. You know, it was just really scary, really scary. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. Thanks for taking the call. All right, man. Thanks for calling in, bro. Okay. Um, yeah, good points. Good points. Okay. Let's, um, Back to the review. Sunday, there was boxing on Sunday, October 4th. Joshua Buatzi kind of had a little bit of a gut check in this fight. His eye was busted up a little bit, had to fight through adversity for the first time as a pro. TKO 7 win over Croatian Marco Kalic. That was his first professional loss. Uh, dropped him in the seventh before his corner threw in a towel. Did the right thing. So Buatzi is legit. Okay, he, he is definitely one of the top prospects in boxing right now. I'm pretty high on Boatsy. I'm not as high on him as somebody like, let's say, Jerron Boots Ennis or someone like that. But he's certainly up there. One of the top prospects in boxing. Definitely the best prospect at light heavyweight. He's 13-0 with 11 knockouts right now. Definitely one to keep an eye on. Had some adversity in this fight. Pushed through it. That's a learning process. That that you know That's like a step up the ladder. He just needs to keep that up, man. All right, quick preview, guys. Let's see. Um, we got a few different fights um, Wednesday and Friday. Let's see. I'm just doing a time check. Okay. Uh, Wednesday, October 7th, Mohegan Sun Casino, Connecticut, Showtime. This is Showbox. They are back. Charles Conwell, another friend to the show, former guest here on the show, 12-0 from Cleveland, Ohio. Going up against Wendy Toussaint, who is also 12-0 and a native of Hawaii, who now lives on Strong Island, Long Island, New York. That is the return of Showbox. And another friend of the show will be hosting it, none other than Raul Marquez. All these friends of the show, all these former guests are getting busy and, and, and getting in the ring, doing their thing, or they're calling fights. Uh, I love it. I love it. Awesome. Good stuff. Friday, October 9th at the MGM Grand ESPN. Back inside the bubble, Emmanuel Navarrete going up against Ruben Villa. This is a pretty interesting fight. A lot of people are excited about this one. And, of course, this is for uh, Navarrete. I think this is for the WBO. Is this for? I can't remember. I can't keep up with the damn titles. I want to say this is for the WBO. Uh, featherweight title because Navarrete is moving up, the vacant one. Or maybe he already won that. I can't freaking remember what the WBO. Anyway, since winning his first title in December of 2018, Navarrete fought. And remember, that was the end of 2018 against Isaac Dogbe, which was an upset when you beat Dogbe. He fought four times in 2019. Villa will be his third opponent of 2020. So Navarrete's opposition isn't always very good. In fact, some of it's been piss poor. But he stays busy, and every now and then he fights good fighters. So I, I got a lot of respect for that. I don't know how this fight's going to play out in the ring. A lot of people think this is a pick em fight. So let's look at the numbers. Navarrete, 31 in 1, 27 knockouts. Via 18 and 0 with 5 knockouts. So the power difference is pretty staggering, I think. Uh, Navarrete, 5'7", 72-inch reach. Ruben Villa, 5'6", 66-inch reach. So Navarrete, the bigger, much longer guy. The one wrinkle here, Villa is a southpaw. Also, he has he had a pretty good amateur record. 116 wins, 17 losses, a 2016 Olympic alternate. Navarrete really didn't have an amateur record. So this is going to be your classic stalker, boxer, puncher versus your boxing stylist type of matchup, right? Villa can box. Uh, he's, he's a lot slicker than Navarrete. However, I just think Navarrete is too big and strong, and he's going to wear down Villa. Will he stop him? It's possible he could stop him late, very possible. Or it's possible he could just grind out a workmanlike, uh, fairly decisive, fairly one-sided decision win, a 116-112, 117-111 type of win for Navarrete. That's what I see here. Oh, and also, I should mention on that Showtime card, I like Conwell big against Toussaint. Even though they have the same record, 
Conwell, of course, that great amateur record, the Olympics, all that. And he's fought the better opposition just overall. So I, I, I like Conwell to win big and score a stoppage win against Toussaint. This Saturday, October 10th, we were supposed to get a really good matchup on Showtime, Lipinets versus Abdukhakarov. But that has been moved to October 24, still on Showtime. Abdukhakarov had visa issues. So we're still going to get that card. It's just being pushed back a couple of weeks, okay? So nothing really big on Saturday. Although in Quebec, David Lemieux is fighting. In London on BT Sport, Liam Williams is fighting. And uh, Nico Hernandez out of Kansas fighting on a bare-knuckle boxing card. So, yeah, that's it for this weekend, guys. All right, man, I think that uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Neutral Corner. Uh, let's go ahead and get – there we go. There's the outro music. I'll do, so, I'll do an applause, too. Let's see what else can I do. I don't know if you guys can hear my uh, my sound effects here, but I'm having a little fun with them. Here, let's see. Let's get the Howard Dean on. Remember Howard Dean? I need to put I need to put him in my uh, <laughs> I need to put Howard Dean in my intro song. <laughs> I need to sample that and put that to a beat. All right, guys, great show, man. I had a lot of fun. We'll be back next Monday. We're gonna have Diego Magdaleno on the show. He's got a fight coming up. He's gonna fight for a piece of a title. I think it's the WBA title. One of the WBA's 500 titles. So we're going to have him on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll do it again next Monday. Have a great weekend or a great week and a great weekend. I'll see you at the fights.